It's a sled. He's dead. The box contains his wife's head. Vedas, his father, they're allergic to water. She's his sister and her daughter. You watched it wrong. We actually we're back. back. We're actually back. This oh, is it. feels so good to be back. An actual episode. I am. I apologize for holding up the entire show. By the way, Siggy, thank you for uh, letting everyone know that we're still here in our last episode. Oh, thanks. Just because uh, it was stated, I just want to say everything's fine. Uh, I did go through some terrible, terrible things. My, uh, uh, our family uh, went through some really rough times, but. Everybody's okay, and we're everyone's healthy, and we're going. It's all good, so no worries there. Yay! All right. I mean, yay for so, things being better. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yay for terrible times. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but you know what? I take that back um, because it is still terrible times. <laughs> it's. If if anyone has been paying attention to anything, it is it's awful. It's just awful. <laughs> I almost forgot where I was for a moment. <laughs> Speaking of dystopias, what are we talking about this episode? We saw Blade Runner 2049 and I hope you did too because if you didn't we're going to talk about it <laughs> and kind of ruin it. But that's the way that's the way it goes. So again, if you haven't seen the movie we're talking about, stop. We we don't want you to listen. It would break our hearts if we ruined something for you. I, so I know for a fact, um, people who I I've heard from people who listen when they haven't seen the movies, and they say they enjoy the podcast nonetheless. So there are such people. Perhaps we should not tell them how to live their lives. You're right. That's my that's my my liberal bent telling everybody how they should not ruling other people's that, lives. Yeah, that's, that's that's the nanny state speaking there. Well, you know, but but that that enjoying this podcast doesn't necessarily mean that the resulting movie when experienced won't be sullied. It's my point still stands. Meaning it becomes more like Captain Sully. <laughs> Yeah, it's more Sullenberger-esque, with quotes before whatever the word came before Sullenberger. And Blade Runner 2049, which is how I prefer to pronounce it, uh, does have its Captain Sully moment, so maybe we can get to that <laughs> That's later. true. You know what I'd like to see? Sully 2049. Mm. Like, what's he going to be doing in 2049? Okay, I'm uh, <laughs> jotting this down. That at the end of this episode, we have to come back and speculate what... <laughs> Sully 2049 would be like. My guess is he still hates geese. He's very anti-goose. If he has one major character flaw, he's he really hates geese. I mean, it's not without justification. Oh, yeah. Well, I, is it... Well, what I degree mean, is it a flaw? I mean, should, he, should, really... he, should he hate all geese because just a few geese flew into his plane engine? I mean, the geese... Other geese are just are staying low, out of flight zone patterns. They're keeping okay. it. They're keeping it tight. 
So he's he's a he's like a Blade Runner who hunts geese and retires. <laughs> there you go. He retires geese. geese. Yeah. And the geese are like, man, we're just trying to live. <laughs> we're just here. We're just hanging out in this corporate park parking lot, yelling at people. <laughs> you know, that's all we're doing. Yeah. I mean, we were born to honk. Don't blame <laughs> us for honking and flying. How is that not a bumper sticker? Born to honk. Boy, that's a withering look I just got. <laughs> it, I mean, it it's dumb enough to be a bumper. It probably is a bumper sticker. I, just, it's, I didn't say dumb enough as in you shouldn't have had that thought, Wade. I just mean. <laughs> I am, I, I'm, I'm no snowflake. You can criticize the things I say. I just mean. I do. If it, if it has to do with honking, it probably isn't a bumper sticker. That's, that's true. That's true. <laughs> or a Lonely Island song. So something I like. I to start, break I, for honkers. <laughs> I break for honking. <laughs> Isn't that a chicken wing restaurant? You honk your horn at me. I will hit my brakes. <laughs> I break for honking. <laughs> I'm a, uh, and you no, know, they got the decal of all their uh, members of their family, and then at the end is like a honk <laughs> sound effect. <laughs> or just like all, all these mom, pi- dad. Two boys, one girl, a dog, a cat, and a honking sound because they love, or just like a horn, <laughs> or or maybe it's just a bunch of front end collisioned cars with a line through it, just one after the other. Like he hears a honk and he breaks and smashes it. Uh, uh, that, that's that maybe a two. Then he stamps. Yeah, yeah. Then he like marks it off on the, the wall, like like the Red Baron, except yeah, exactly. <laughs> the Red Baron, except. <laughs> One who slams on his brakes when people honk at him. It's a fitting comparison. <laughs> so now there's a Blade Runner who is hunting honkers. <laughs> a honker hunter. Although he says, see, usually when you say you break for something, I never understood that phrase. I break for things I really like. So if I see one, I will slam on my brakes. Like, I don't understand how hitting your brakes is an expression of approval <laughs> or something. Because it's usually yeah. the opposite. Yeah, it's usually like your brake. Uh, usually, it's, I've never slammed on my brakes with glee. I mean, maybe it means if one of these was in front of my car, I would hit the brakes so I wouldn't run it over. Right. It's like I break for baby with duck the, crossings. With the, which suggests anything else you would run over. Like, it's... <laughs> It's exceptional. I'm a malevolent sociopath. I'll just go over anything, but as noted on the ass of my car, there are certain things I have a soft spot for that I won't murder. <laughs> That's basically what that, yeah. Like, it's just, it's a funny idea. Like, I better list on my <laughs> bumper of my car everybody I won't murder. <laughs> because that's going to be a short enough list to fit on my bumper. So that way, when I do murder one of them, I'm in the clear. I got an alibi. So this is the podcast where we talk about movies. <laughs> okay. So let's begin with this. I work at a university and I have a, a new student, a student worker. I do too. A couple. Yeah, we both do. Uh, sorry. I, did, I didn't mean to hold that over you as a sign of status. No, I'm no. Sorry. I was just chiming in. <laughs> Chime away. That was a plus one. <laughs> um, and so we have a couple new student workers who are awesome. But I heard over. One, I overheard one of them say, I ha- "Should I see Blade Runner twenty forty nine? Because I haven't seen the first one." And the other student worker said, "Eh, don't bother. 
like, you don't need to. And I was like, and the movie hadn't come out yet. So he, this guy hadn't seen it. So that was an uninformed well, opinion no, he was well, giving. The two, thing, the, the two things that brought up, one, besides just general rage, <laughs> was the idea was that the mo- first movie was so unnecessary that you wouldn't need to experience it, which I have my own issues with that idea. Second is that if you did see the movie, how do you think someone would enjoy this movie without having seen the first Blade Runner? It's... It's conceivable. It's definitely a movie built to follow from the first one. Yeah. It's inexorably tied to the first one. I don't think I used that word right. But inextricably? Inextricably, thank you. How you say uh <laughs> no, it's uh, it really uh it's it's so rooted and so depends on that first one to have any resonance. And uh, yet at the same time, this is Kay's story. This is Ryan Gosling's story, I think, first and foremost. Yes. They make a, they make a point, and, and, and it's, it's good that they do. This is Kay's story, not Deckard's story from the, from the first movie. However, it can't exist on its own. And I'm glad they didn't do a lot of sequel bait, because they're probably going to make a t- more sequels. But I like that they kept it kind of contained as its own thing, but it can't be its own thing. I'm trying to think, would somebody enjoy Spider-Man Homecoming if they hadn't seen the Avenger movies? Yeah, I think they could. It seems to be, it explains everything you need to know, but it's so tied to everything else. I don't know. I don't know how it would come off. So what, what, what about it do you think could be, try to put yourself in the idea of never having seen the first Blade Runner and then watching this movie. What would it, do you feel like you just are completely, I don't think you'd be completely lost. I just don't think you'd care as much. I don't think it matters very much until there are specific callbacks to the first movie. Mm-hmm. Like actual dialogue even like, from the first movie. Right. Like yeah. it's you're you're expected to recognize when you're seeing or hearing uh footage from the first movie. Right. And it's you know, and you're supposed to, it's supposed to be a jolt for you when you see Deckard again, when you see Sean Young mm-hmm. as Rachel on screen. Like those moments, I don't see how they're they would feel significant without the f- knowledge of the first movie. Yeah, but that's only a few. I mean, and that's the whole ending segment of the film. Right. So <laughs> I, I. I, I and I want to talk. I want to talk about that last segment of the film. Anyway, mm-hmm. I could imagine it standing on its own until then. I don't see how the the main body, the first like two thirds of the movie, are inextricably linked to the first. I think it does a good job of establishing the themes on its own terms. Mm. I don't know. Well, here's here's. Here's something I'll, I'll I'll jump I'll jump into kind of a overall statement as I usually do. Um, I enjoyed this movie a lot. I, I there's a lot of things in it that are, are, are breathtaking, and I was trying not to. Um, I, I went into it not not thinking about how let down I was going to be if it was bad, and it wasn't bad. I liked it a lot. I thought it was a very good movie, but my wife and I both came out a little bit 
and it's gotten worse since we've seen it. And, and I do think this is a movie I need to see repeat viewings of to really get a sense of it because um, the first movie is so staggeringly clear and concise in the point it's making. Yet, yet if someone doesn't pick up on it, it's fine because it's, 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 it's moody, it's, it's gumshoey, it's uh, sci-fi, it's action. Uh, but it's clearly a story. It's actually, in a way, it's almost a little more Roy Batty's story. Uh, or not, it isn't more. It's, it's largely the Roy Batty story of, of people standing before God and asking, why do we have to die? Why can't I have mm-hmm. more time? And that's what Blade Runner, it, that's why Blade Runner is so potent, I think, in, in, uh, in, as a film. And then when, and the spoiler alert for Blade Runner 1982, or rather 2019, I guess, um, you know, when, when Rutger Hauer saves Harrison Ford at the end of the movie, here's a, a replicant that people don't view as human. You've got a cop who's, sent to hunt down people that the world doesn't consider human, which is very, which Blade Runner 2049, I think really does. It's really relevant for our current situation, the current culture in that regard of the police hunting down people that they don't think are human. Um, being hunted down by people who, by replicant, replicants being hunted down by replicants and the cops, his fellow cops hate him for being a replicant but yet he's killing the people that it does. Yeah. It's, 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 it's all very interesting, but with Blade Runner, Oh, Rutger Hauer at the end saves Harrison Ford's life because he's, you know, he, he's, he's seeing the value of life in that moment. He's seeing how every, his life, his life, my life, <laughs> any oh, life. Quick shout out to Brian Lutz. My favorite Dove's life, my favorite, impression of all time is brian lutz his impression of the and voiceover brian lutz is not a famous person you right, should yeah. have heard of uh, dear you, listener this is a no, friend of a mutual friend of ours you should have heard of him i i, I hope <laughs> well, that's okay. uh my favorite impression of the but world we don't expect you to have is brian lutz doing an impression of the voiceover in the theatrical cut of blade runner it it cracks me up. i don't know why he saved my life i have a theory it sounds like his lucille ball impression <laughs> He's it's all purpose impression. Um, I have a theory. I think I, I, I don't know if I read this as true. Or if I just thought it up, I think I just thought it up. I, my guess is, is that the studio imposed the voiceover and Harrison Ford and Ridley Scott said, I got an idea. Let's make this, let's just record the worst. Oh yeah. That's the voice. That rumor. is, that is the rumor. Okay. That's or the legend. Yeah. I don't let's know just record something so bad that they'll never, they couldn't possibly use it. And then they used it. <laughs> right. They, th- they thought it was dumb, and so they tried to make it right. Yeah. yeah. That's, yeah. yeah, that's an old, it kinda, that's the old story. It comes across as that, certainly. Um, well, that's cool. So here's the thing, something that's been getting at me with um, 2049, is that it brings up a lot of, of themes, a lot of really potent ideas that it associ- uh, and associations associates so much with our contemporary world and with all these uh, other uh, thoughts and themes. But I, but it's hard. I'm trying. Something is really hard for me to figure out what the whole movie is about. (laughs) 
Like yeah. I'm having trouble figuring that out. And it's not like it's, they don't have great ideas in there. They do, but something's not gelling. Something's not like it's, you know, Blade Runner is he's, they're standing in front of God saying, why do we have to die? And this one, I, I can't figure out what that through line is. What's the spine? Well, okay, so that's my that's my big takeaway from this movie, and what I wanted to talk about more than anything else is I I, I think you're right. I think it's got some really um, interesting uh, themes. I really like how it builds on like the visual motif of the first film, where it's like all the advertisement mm-hmm. that are that are everywhere in the in the first one, and in that in the first one, it always just seemed like that's just a sign of everything's been commoditized and like corporations run everything and it's just intruding on every part of your life. Um, and this one, I thought they did a really smart thing of taking that a step further and really, uh, showing advertisement as an example of, uh, manipulating your emotions in order to control you. Right. Uh, yeah. And that just being another example of that, which is like the whole, the whole movie is about, is about that, you know, implanting memories, or programming an artificial intelligence to make you feel like someone loves you, engineering uh, uh, Rachel so that she'll generate the right emotional response when you meet her, so that you'll want to make a baby with her. Um, like this, this yeah. idea comes up over and over again. Is um, is is control through generating feelings in people, right? Yeah. Um, and so I thought that was the spine of the movie until we get to Las Vegas and we meet Deckard and then the, the movie just falls apart for me. I, I can't, I want to, I want to get your take on like from that point forward, he goes to Las Vegas. Now we're in the desert with the giant nudie statues. And up to this point, I've, I've, I'm really into the movie. You know, it doesn't mm-hmm. really have a lot of narrative thrust. Um, it's still I don't very know where... slow. It's still very it's, it's so it marinates a lot. I, I was fine. Yeah, I, yeah that's I great. Was, that's I great. Was, I, I was digging it. Um, I just I thought it was um, interesting how it just kind of like took its time to meditate. <laughs> uh, my wife was uh, Catherine was complaining about the uh, the the sex scene with the prostitute and joy overlaid on top and how, Oh yeah. How that scene took forever and how like she kept waiting. It's like, I didn't like the, that blurry sex scene. <laughs> she wanted yeah. the, the two images to snap together. I'm like, Oh, well that's kind of interesting. How it was just all about like gave you time to think about how this is an artificial yeah. person layered on top of an artificial person layered on top of an artificial yeah. relationship like everything you know it's like you can think no, about all the layers of artificiality yeah. no one it. in this scene you know? is even human like no right. it's, it's a replicant having a relationship with a software that wants to be overlaid upon another flesh and body replicant right it's it's it, right. There, there's, have, a, there's a lot of sex with a, a, an artificial woman but pretend you're having sex with a different artificial woman <laughs> that you can't have yeah. sex with that that scene is more you know, that scene was more is is more interesting to think about than to watch. I, I agree with Catherine. It went on a little too long, um, and I actually was disappointed when they actually did have sex. I thought something was like. I thought there was something better to do with that, but I don't know why. 
I guess I'm just a prude. I hate sex, basically, is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Down uh, with sex. You know, maybe they didn't have sex. Maybe the, the sex was an implanted memory. We don't know. That's true. That's true. Oh, you know? Yeah. So, oh, so Once ahead. we get to Vegas, it feels like a different movie. And I don't, I have trouble thinking of anything of value <laughs> from that point forward. Like anything that I really liked about the movie. Well, there was stuff I liked about the movie after that point, but um, upon reflection, it felt like here I've got this movie set in the Blade Runner world that is literally born out of the first movie. Literally. Literally. And then when we hit Deckard, now like it's obligatory. Here we are with, we got to see Deckard because he's a Blade Runner. And then now the movie is fighting these instincts of greatest hits versus seeing that character grow, seeing it grow. And then it muddles the whole story of K. But not really, because I look in a way. I mean, in, in, on paper, I think it it was probably much more concise. Because I love the idea that I, I really love the idea that Kay began to believe uh, his heartbreak when he found out that he wasn't the replicant born of replicants. That he wasn't the miracle baby. Yeah. I really liked yeah. it that he started to piece together that he was the miracle baby, and then he wasn't it. And how he had to deal with that. And I, I found that fascinating. And you need, I guess you need Deckard for that to be the miracle baby. But um, I'm going to get back to that, but go ahead. The ending kind of got all muddled. Like I also with the fact that it's Kay's story, but the movie ends with Deckard's uh, reuniting or with his daughter. Right. Yeah. It ends with an emotional close of the first movie's character, but the second movie was never about the first movie's character. It was about Kay. And I want to get back to the ending thing, too, because I couldn't figure... I was trying to look at all the signs where he was looking at snow. And I was like, well, what is this meaning? And Carrie was like, well, this is... Him dying in the snow is obviously just them doing a greatest hits of Rutger Hauer dying in the rain. Did he die in the snow? We don't... I don't know. I don't know if he died... Actually, it never occurred nothing. to me that he was dying there. I thought, I thought he was, but they didn't really tell us if he did or not. That's how I took it. So I don't know. So I didn't take it that way, but she posed something really great. She said they shouldn't have, have stomped on the emitter Joy's, um, the, the little cylinder that let her walk, let her walk around with Kay. Mm-hmm. They shouldn't have stomped on it because he should have died with Joy's image projected over him crying with the snow kind of piercing through her, you know, and glitching her out saying, don't die. Don't like, I need you. Don't die. Because there's a uh, computer image having this emotional torrent for her, her dying love, but none of this, neither of them are, they're both machines, one software and one's hardware. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so uh, I thought, yeah, that probably would have been better. I mean, it's kind of the same thing as the love scene in a way, but it's, it's, uh, I would have, when he laid down on the steps, I didn't really know what this meant i was like oh this is yeah this is just this is just what happened like well, I, it right, didn't okay. really come to anything i thought yeah okay l- l- yeah so let me let me give you a take on uh, my, my take on that uh, so him finding out he's not the miracle baby to me is not nearly as interesting as him finding out that he is 
because when he finds out that he is, so he visits Bubble Girl, his <laughs> his fake DNA twin, according to the records. Which, by or, the way, is she actually have an illness or is she just being protected? I don't know. I don't know. So he goes to her. He finds out the memory is genuine. So he thinks that means that he was born and not made, which means all the time that he thought he had to obey, he didn't have to obey, Mm -hmm. which means he's been killing other replicants by choice when he thought he didn't have a choice. Right. And so that moment of pain when he realizes that, and like that's his first... Um, you know, we've already seen him go through his Captain Sully mode where they harpoon the Ben Franklin kite to his car and <laughs> knock the power out, which is my favorite action scene in the, in the, uh, in the movie. Um, and he doesn't, you know, he's t- maintains complete cool as he's going in for a, a crash. Um, you know, so we've seen like how steady he can be, but in this moment he loses it. It's the first time we, we see him. Mm-hmm become non-Ryan Gosling-like. Which is like great casting, by the way. Yeah, it, um, it really was. I'm also growing to love Dave Bautista as a serious actor more and more. <laughs> I was so mad at myself for not figuring out who he was until after that scene. I did piece it together later in the movie. Like, who was... I know I should know this guy's voice, but I couldn't... Uh, I have, I've only seen him as Drax the Destroyer. So I, it's like when you see someone from work but like in a restaurant and so you can't recognize them because they're like i know i know this face but i have no idea from where because i've never seen them smile of a certain context you know i've never seen them smile yeah so i've yeah i've never seen this guy without gray skin and uh two knives in his hands you know um so so he's got this emotional pain and it like changes his whole trajectory because he realizes he did have free will the whole time Mm-hmm. And so he he was willingly hunting down other replicants. Yeah. And for me, that's a much more interesting dilemma than because then how it affects future choices. It affects like it's a commentary on the whole control structure is that you're you're made to think you have no choice, even though you do. But then like that's a, that's an interesting dilemma. But then when he's told he is not, He's already experienced this, like, you know, we, this, it's, I was thinking about Get Out and our, our talk about the alternate ending during this, because, like, what if, you know, the point was made, the point was made, uh, you know, the, yeah, the other ending is more, re, is more realistic, but Jordan Peele made his point when the cops show up, where the lights hit his face, and there's, you know, three dead people in the street burning house down, and he's a black man, you're like, oh, no, he's screwed. Yeah. And that point was made and it's undeniable. And that was the point. So thinking about Ryan Gosling as the audience in Get Out, let's think about that. Once he's been made to think I had free will the whole time. And then to be told later, oh, no, you're a rep. You know, you're not the miracle baby. Did you think it was you? He's still now thinking he he's like, oh, but that feeling of like I could you know, you don't just zip back to, okay, I'm a robot then. You know, you don't, you still have been affected by that and it keeps going. It will stick with him. But know? did that knowledge, did this new knowledge change his trajectory from that point on in the movie? No, I guess like, like, what, did it, he's, he's what, did still, it, what did him learning that change? 
I don't know. He was more willing to to lie down, I guess, in the end, rather than keep going. Why? Why? Because when your death matters, then you are driven. Wait, meaning uh, he's willing to sacrifice himself now, and he wouldn't have been before. Well, think about like I was. Thinking, what do you mean? I was contrasting this movie with the end of Terminator Two, when okay. Schwarzenegger real thinks, well, the only my protocol is to keep John Connor safe. Skynet will come back if the chip in my head is recovered. So I have mm -hmm. to be destroyed. And that's just his logic. He doesn't, he's not really sacrificing himself because it doesn't really matter to him. He's just. Well, he's sacrificing himself, himself but for a, a reason. Yeah, for before, a before his protocol. Right. Yeah. And, and, and the, 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 the simulation of humanity in their relationship while it's affecting, and I did tear up at the end of Terminator 2 as he's even gives that cheesy little thumbs up. You know, it's it's a very affecting, but ultimately it wasn't a moving gesture on the part of the Terminator. It was, that's what I have to do because I protect John Connor and this is the way to do it. How does, it, how does that make it not moving? Oh, it's incredibly moving, but I'm saying, but it's not something that, it's not like Bing Bong sacrificing himself at the end of Inside Out. It's it's uh, it's it's a machine fulfilling its protocol, right? Who's Bing Bong? The the imaginary friend. Um, oh, that cries. Oh candy. yeah, yeah. Okay, that's right. The heart the right. heartbreaker of that movie. <laughs> and so, um, you know, it's not someone who had valued everything in there. It's just this this this, this to make him now. At the same time, Blade Runner's different because the the replicants if you buy the first movie you know the nexus six uh and seven models um they would they had a built-in life uh term life termination date because they start to get ideas they start to get unruly they start to believe they have free will so they have to be put out put down mm -hmm. um it hits the journey uh to to stand before tyrell i.e god and say why why must we die? The opening crawl of the new movie says that because of that, the next, well, the Nexus eights had an open ended lifespan. So we're to assume that's record. That's Rachel and possibly Deckard. But then they said, now this is the part that Carrie and I couldn't agree on. We couldn't remember. I thought in the opening, they said they became too problematic. So they retired that line. The Nexus nines had a built in, termination date is that right or did the nexus is all the no so i don't all... think they need one because they they're obedient the the difference in the next mm. the new line is that they're obedient okay that's what i i don't remember anything about so termination dates being reintroduced right. so then ryan gosling's k was going out to terminate all the nexus eights that had gone rogue right that's what he was doing i don't know if I remember the numbers right, but something right. like that, yeah. The, the open-ended ones. The open the people who didn't have a termination date. Well, the ones who end. didn't have, right. Uh, so termination date is just like off the table, I think, right. is what that opening title does. Like, that's not an issue anymore. Yeah, but the people he was, yeah, exactly. So oh, the I ones see, he was hunting down were the ones before the uh, obedience right. so, feature was so, introduced. Where did I leave off. Why it's significant that he finds out he's not the miracle baby. 
And you're saying it's because that makes him willing to sacrifice himself. No, I'm saying, I'm saying his um, survival instincts aren't strong anymore. But Why? he's still willing to die for something that matters. That's what I'm saying. But I don't. How is that? I when I say he's willing to sacrifice, I I don't think. I, I think he's too stricken by the idea of what he could have been, and now to go back to the idea that he he didn't have that option of free will as crushing as that idea was before now it's now that it's gone back to the way it was before he can't live he doesn't really want to i i i, I just think that it's, it's an ill-formed thought but i just think that he um well what is he trying to do from that point forward in the movie he's being he he gets he's told he has to kill deckard because they'll use deckard to find the real miracle baby well, at that point, which is memory maker right. which is that point he's protecting the baby at that point but he isn't well by he trying, doesn't he doesn't do what they asked him to do which is kill the baby they asked him to kill the baby robin right. Wright asks Dude. him to kill the baby one-eyed oh. lady oh one-eyed lady asked yeah, what him to kill she's... deckard oh right right because they'll use deckard cuz love um the 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 evil replicant henchman henchwoman um, is going to use Deckard to find right. the real miracle baby right this is where it gets very convoluted for me yeah it relies on the the action movie trope of well obviously the right thing to do is to save Deckard and the child the miracle woman so that's obviously the right thing to do that's what everyone wants to happen so let's let's that's what he's going to do. But his motivation isn't clear if he just doesn't like to be told by this, this group that the people who are fighting for their freedoms, but then yet will are, you know, are, are willing yeah. to make monstrous. They're, to, they're slaves. Slaves, right. <laughs> it's a slave rebellion. It's a slave rebellion. And they're like, well, if some of our slaves get killed because for the better cause, then so be it. Um, but yeah, it's a little, it is a little murky at that point why he does the things he does. Yeah. I mean, even if he was the miracle baby and they said, I mean, it just seems like a plot point mm -hmm. to me is that, well, you're not, and there is a, another real one and they're going to use Deckard to find her. So you have to go kill Deckard and then he's going to make a choice not to kill Deckard because why? Because he values all life, his life, <laughs> my life, any life. Well, I guess. It, well, I, yeah. I, I mean, I mean, both Blade but Runners, then, in a way, is about valuing life. But then he kills love, <laughs> which I really thought love was going right. to end up being me, meaning something more than just a final baddie to be drowned. And that's yeah. it. That was a letdown too. And then he makes a choice to take Deckard to meet Memory Girl, which is exactly what Deckard had been trying to avoid his whole. Life. Yeah, which seems really. <laughs> risky yeah. so why what is the significance of that choice <laughs> and then he lies down in the snow instead of going inside because it looks nice you think he's lying down to die maybe i think he's lying down never to die never once crossed my mind i'll be perfectly honest um maybe because i didn't see like blood on the snow Mm. Was there blood on the snow? I don't well, he, had a, he had a terrible abdomen wound from the knife that loves. Yeah, but were they showing us the blood on the snow? Like, was there a visual know. signifier that he's dying? 
No, I just I just took it as assumed. He just looked very peaceful to me, mm-hmm. like he's happy with his choices <laughs> or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like what 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 is what is the why what does it mean that he chooses to take I can I can figure out I guess why he would save Deckard instead of killing him. Mm-hmm. Although I don't think it's like pronounced in any way and like you say he he kills love without seeming to even regret doing so. He doesn't cry when he kills her. She she cries when she kills. It would have been great. It would have been great if he'd pulled out a dove out of his jacket, out of his wet jacket, and just <laughs> let it go at that point. Yeah, I mean, love cries when she kills uh, Robin Wright, but he yeah. doesn't cry when he kills her. So he doesn't care about that life, mm-hmm. you know. But he saves Deckard, and then he's like, "I'm just gonna lead you right to to the memory maker, or whatever her name is," and. What does that mean? Like, uh, I, I don't know. Like, it's just, it's very muddled yeah. to me. What's, why I'm supposed to care about that it, other it, than feel a feel good feeling of, oh, a father gets to meet his daughter. A daughter gets to meet his right. father. Right. Like, it's very generic. It has, it has nothing to do with anything that came before because the, I mean, that's right. Unlike, I mean, I guess it's meeting your creator, but she's not trying to meet him. It's not, she's not seeking out. I mean, I guess it's someone seeking out their creation instead of, I don't know. It's like, yeah, well, I, and so it's very was, muddled to me. Was, uh, was the implant of her memory into Agent K purposeful or was it coincidence? Was it put there to make him... Wait, which one of her memories was implanted in him? The hiding of the horse in the furnace and then getting beat up. That was her memory. And and the thing, because when she looks at the memory and sees it and she goes, yes, somebody lived this. This memory was lived. That's her That's memory. Right. And I thought to myself, and, I, it, it, and then later when it came up, I went, why didn't I see that? Because when he goes into that, when, whenever you see the little boys, he goes into that orphanage. And in that scene, all the other boys are head shaven. And they, every time they see little children in the movie, they're all head-shaven boys, but the girls aren't. The girls have hair. And then when you see that flashback, Kay has got hair. And I was like, and I, instead of going, I wonder if that's not Kay, I thought, I wonder why he has hair and no one else has hair. <laughs> and wow. it, di- it didn't occur to me that that's, that's a girl. because I just assumed they had lice. <laughs> yeah. But everybody, if you looked at that scene, all the girls had hair and all the boys didn't. So that was that was her memory, but the thought is is that did was that intentional? Was that intentional? Was that like the pattern set up between you know they, they posed the idea that Deckard and Rachel were programmed to to actually meet and fall in love and to create this baby? You know, there's they they pose that as a possibility. Yeah, and so and you're the, talking about in, in manipulating to incept ideas in people to your own emotional responses are corporate manipulation. Yeah. Then that falls into that, that storyline too, but it's still very muddled. I don't, I don't get yeah. over it. It's all these great ideas, but I don't know what it's trying to say. I it, think it's a better movie if Harrison Ford never shows up in it. Sadly. Yeah. I honestly do. I sadly, honestly yeah. do. Although my absolute favorite line in the whole movie and probably in of, of it could be one of my favorite lines in movies in general is when they're in the, 
which I thought Las Vegas was a weird place for Decker to be hiding out. They just wanted to do the sex statues, I guess. Well, let's get to that in a second too. So, um, the, uh, my favorite line, in the whole thing is when Ryan Gosling looks at the dog and says, is it real? And he goes, I don't know. Why don't you ask him? Yeah. That's, 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 that is the crux. That I think is the crux of the movie and the crux yeah. of, 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 that's the crux of race relations in general, or just identifying with other people. If you're going like, if it's like, well, I mean, even take the Harvey Weinstein thing we're thinking about right now. The, the, one of the things that's sticking in my head right now is that Rose McGowan tweeted out that, you know, that Harvey Weinstein had raped her and assumingly she's breaking her non-disclosure agreement from the settlement to do so. Cause she would set, they had settled out of court. And the idea was that she was doing a pilot at Amazon and then Harvey Weinstein was coming in doing Manchester by the sea, I think. And um, so Amazon starts to work with Harvey Weinstein and Rose McGowan's like, don't do this. I've told you, I, and she tells him, she said, I told him time and time, several times. I told him once, told him twice, told him three times that he does this, that he'd done this to me. And they said, well, you know, I can't, that's not proven that it happened. And then Rose McGowan said, I am the proof. And I think that's, that's, that's the crux of the thing is that when someone says, I, this is my truth, this is what happened to me. And everyone's like, well, it's not, no, it's not proven. And so it's like, is that dog real? Is that dog real? Does it, 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 even if the dog was made, it has, it was given a consciousness to operate and probably memories like the other ones. So if you asked it, are you real? Yeah, I'm real. I'm thinking. I'm here. I experience pain. I I I I, I think about what next to do next. I'm hungry. I go eat. So yeah, by that definition, he's very real. That dog's very real. But because he was made, they go, well, yeah, he's not real. So that that feels like the crux of the movie to me. That statement. Did that land for you as well as much as it did for me? Yeah, um, I'm not sure I can make the the leap from um, like identity to experience the way you are with the Rose McGowan mm-hmm. parallel. I, I think I, I think I see what you're saying. Now, uh, now at the same time, let me say that to just give you a little dichotomy of my brain. While I thought I stated that, I, 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 I don't believe cloned animals are the same animal. They're not the same spirit. They're not the same way. I don't believe that when you, uh, when they do personality data collections and store your personality in a bank that you are living on, you are not, <laughs> you're dead. You're not, you're not living on forever in a computer. I do believe that. Okay. So you don't think Joy no. is, uh, is alive or has a soul? No, but I do believe that she has a consciousness. Or a mind. That's the philosophy no, of that... mind. Is that, am, I, am I getting that turn right? Turn well, right? Well, then, see, the movie here then poses a lot of interesting questions. They're like, so what is, you know, what is this, what is the spirit? What is the soul? They even say you're doing well without one at one point in the movie. Um, which felt a little ham-fisted, but it it it's it is talking about what we're talking about, which is like 
if if the computers if joy experiences is programmed to react with fear affection pain you know all these th- laughter uh, interest curiosity if all these things are, are are there then she has a consciousness now but does she have a soul does she have a spirit what is a soul and a spirit then if all these other things are 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 of all these tangible things or, or measurable things are um, the same. You know, is, is there a spirit? Is there a soul at all? Maybe that's a fabrication, you know? Um, so, uh, and maybe it's not, maybe it is something more. Maybe it's a je ne sais quoi of the universe, <laughs> but um, you know, um, I, the, the thought is, is like, do we, because joy is not alive do we not feel sympathy for her reactions one that's one thing she's programmed to be for k mm-hmm. um which i i i don't know if i should <laughs> i i i don't know if it's uh if it's uh purposeful but it surely seems interesting that they named a computer simulation of a woman joi when that usually stands for jack off instructions. <laughs> it does? Yeah. That's why I'm like, wait, should I say I know that? <laughs> why? Like, where are you reading? Where are you reading jack off instructions? The New Yorker. So let's. <laughs> um, I know a few things. No, we'll. <laughs> But, but you, yet you need instructions. <laughs> and that's the part that's getting me here. Is you need instructions often enough that you need to abbreviate it for convenience. <laughs> that's, that's the striking hey, part of this for me. Hey, there is nothing better than a good time-saving abbreviation. I mean, we could, I guess, I mean, we could all stand to improve our technique, I suppose. Exactly. Exactly. Well, it's not training. <laughs> it's not like a, it's not a refresher course. It's instruction <laughs> in what sense? Because I don't know what else it means. There, there is a, um, I, I stumbled upon, I don't, I don't use it. Uh, I stumbled upon, uh-huh, okay. Go ahead, uh, but proceed. I, I stumbled upon on uh, 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 YouTube. This is your truth. You're going to. This is my truth. <laughs> It might be bullshit, but you say it's true, and so it is, right? According to your dog equals Rose McGowan analogy. Dog equals... No, no, you can't frame it that way. You can't frame it that way. That's not Rose. That's not what... My game right now is just to make you sound as silly as possible. I'm sorry. Well, I don't need any help there, sir. (laughs) All right. So, okay, back it up. So, we got... Let's see, where were we? Um... Okay, well, there's two things I really want to I want to get to. One, Wait, I, no, I'm, so, I'm sorry, I really want to know what you mean by jerk off instruction. That you, and I really you hope can you can find you can find videos online of 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 women telling you to do it. Oh, okay. So it's like phone sex. Yes, it's like phone sex. Only it's a recording. That's okay. basically what that is. So someone talking you through it. Someone's talking you through your voice. It. It's, it's not. Like it's not saying it's no. It's almost not. like she's doing it for you. Yeah, most of them are shame, humiliation based. 
too, which is not agreeable. I take care of that on my own. <laughs> Actually, I take care of both of my own. <laughs> so, so yeah, they're they're not. They're not, not even pleasant. doing it right. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me do it. Come on, step out of the way. How do you even come doing that? <laughs> Get more pleasure out of a rope. Officer KD 6-3.7. Let's begin. Ready? Yes, sir. Recite your baseline. And blood black nothingness began to spin. A system of cells interlinked within cells, interlinked within cells, interlinked within one stem, and dreadfully distinct against the dark, a tall white fountain played. Cells. Cells. Is your dick nice and hard? Cells. Cells. Do you want to pour motor oil all over it? Cells. Cells. When you're not performing your duties, do you keep it in a little box? Cells. Cells. Interlinked. Interlinked. What's it like to hold the hand of someone you love? Interlinked. Interlinked. Can you stick your finger up your butt without hitting the off switch? Interlinked. Interlinked. Do you dream of fucking electric sheep? Interlinked. Interlinked. Are your cock and your fist interlinked? Cells. Do you jerk off because you know you can't make a baby? Interlinked. Interlinked. Do you feel there's a part of you that's missing? Interlinked. Interlinked. Within cells interlinked. Within cells interlinked. Why don't you say that three times? Within cells interlinked. Within cells interlinked. Within cells interlinked. Within cells interlinked. Within We're done. Constant K, you can ejaculate now. Thank you, sir. <laughs> okay, you had uh, points about Blade Runner 2049 you want to make. <laughs> okay, so. Or 2049. 2049. We're not there yet. So, um, okay. Well, let me, I'll, I'll do the second one first because it seems like a natural segue. The, um, the Vegas stuff. Go, I, I, was a, I was a bit taken aback when we started walking through giant uh, statues of nude women in erotic posings. But Just because of your prudishness or because for of another reason? Well, I, okay. I think we've established already this minutes ago I'm not a prude. Yeah, but th- these weren't the first <laughs> boobs no. and butts in the movie, though. So. But here, take, take a look at how, how femininity is, um, is, is valued in the world of this movie. And I don't mm-hmm. think it's valued, that's what the values of the filmmakers or, the, or our current times. But like, well, if you look at it this way, because motherhood is a big part of this movie. Obviously, so you've got you've got a child born of two synthetic people. Well, arguably two synthetic people, possibly two synthetic people. One definitely. And okay, aside bubble bubble statement, does the movie ever establish that Deckard is a replicant? Well, I'd or like, is it just taken as a given? I'd like to say that it. I'd like to say that it's smart enough to know that the, the, um, that the appeal of that movie is kind of in the fact that we don't know that it's always been, always going to be a question. Uh, and that it would just, that it just perpetuated that. So that's a no, no, I said, that's what I'd like to say. Oh, okay. Because, because the whole movie does that essentially, except for one moment when Jared Leto as Wallace tells uh, offhandedly to, to uh, well, well, I mean, uh, just throws in the fact that when he's talking about, you know, don't, don't you think it's possible that, that, that you were predestined to do this by, by you both being programmed 
to fall in love with each other before you even knew of each other's existence. Like we, we, like you were, had been programmed to appeal to each other and be drawn to each other and do what you're doing to make this baby. Don't you think that might've been a possibility? And, yeah. And said in an ambiguous way. Right. And, and, we, and, and now that I'm, now that we've had our conversation about uh, crystallizing the fact that the movie's showing how um, everyone's ideas and emotions are manipulated by corporate advertising. Maybe program doesn't necessarily have to mean that Deckard's a replicant. He could just be someone part of the culture where that's what it does. That's what the culture is. Your emotions are <laughs> given and planted by. Yeah. This. I thought it was open-ended enough that it could just mean that she was designed to yeah, appeal to him. Appeal to him. Right. I, I kind of had a, 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 you know, a double take when he said that, cause I thought, but I wasn't sure if I heard it right. Um, now Ridley Scott has gone on record as saying that anyone who thinks that Deckard, uh, isn't a replicant is ridiculous. <laughs> and I think right. the, the director's cut of that pretty well proves pretty much flatly states it. But um, there's never like, it's never signified in this movie. No, that was my... it's never signified. Right. I don't think it's okay. ever signified. Except outside of maybe Leto's right. statement. But you are thinking if it's Deckard and Rachel's child then that was not a human. There's no part of that child that's human. A true miracle baby. You know, it was two machines yeah. that created a life. So we Which, start. Sorry. So as I interrupted you, because I thought the answer would be a lot shorter. I'm sorry. That's okay. <laughs> I put I put it in the what? phrase of a yes, no. <laughs> what about our relationship has made you ever think I anything know, would I... be a short answer? Uh, um, I should have known better. Uh, that's on me. Uh, uh, yeah, 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 that's on you. Um, briefly, I'm going to make a quick aside about I was so excited to see Sean Young when she came on. And the more yeah. I thought about it afterwards, I'm so angry at how little they, it was nothing really more than a glorified cameo uh, in, in the sense that the whole movie is about her. But Deckard's the one that we get to see half the movie with. The whole, and she's around? They brought her on set? Because I, I wondered if it was like a digital, like like maybe they didn't want Sean Young near them <laughs> and they just did something digital. But no, she's listed in the credits as being... Is she still crazy? Well, here's... Well, you know, these days, I don't know if, if the stories about her being crazy are true or if they're just people trying to, you know... Because you know, who's been saying she's crazy? Men. Men have been saying she's crazy. Michelle so Pfeiffer... <laughs> Oh, right. Oh. So, yeah, it was kind of... I don't even know if Michelle Pfeiffer was part of that. I thought that was part of the story that she, like, invented a rivalry with Michelle Pfeiffer because she wanted to be Catwoman, well, she right? was She was going to be Vicki Vale, right? She was, she was cast as Vicki Vale in the first movie, and then she fell off a horse and broke her leg. Much like Doug Gray Scott, almost being Wolverine. But he fell off a lesser burger set. I, I'm not... I, I could be mixing those two stories, or I don't know who fell off a horse. I know she got injured. And she couldn't do the part, and so they quickly cast Kim Basinger. So then, when okay. the, as the story goes, when they did Batman Returns, Shang Tsung says, well, I'm obviously owed Catwoman. Catwoman is going to be mine because I didn't get to be in the first one through no fault of my own, and, and you owe this to me. And then, and then the crazy stalker stories with Tim Burton started. But, you know, that may be true, that may not be true. You know, so many, so many careers have been ended, you know, as we've learned or not learned, but have always known <laughs> by, you know, women not doing the things they, that men have been wanting them to do in Hollywood. Like 
like yeah. stay on their horses. <laughs> but these are all apocryphal. We I don't, mean, you know, you know. I'm, just, I'm not there. I don't. I wasn't there. I wasn't there through the production of those pre-productions of those movies. So, you know, I don't know. This is the this is the this is the the lore that has been handed down. Yeah, and prepared by by by. I mean, she did go Star on Log. Letterman. She oh, did she go did? on Letterman, dressed as Catwoman. Oh, okay, <laughs> acting weird, right? Like that's part of the story. I, that she again made I don't a television know, appearance. I don't know what I'm talking about. So <laughs> again, I don't know. I don't even think I've even. I don't think I've even seen that. But that's part. That's part of the story. So anyway, so she's there. If though. I remember it right, and we've established my memory is very bad, but she's there though. She's there in the movie. Um. And and it's also weird that when if 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 replicants are struggling to be seen as their lives are struggling to be seen as valued, it is weird that Decker didn't bat an eye when the Rachel Redux Redux is just flat out murdered behind him. You know, it's like well, she's not Rachel, so obviously she doesn't her life doesn't have value. Which I I I was always questioning why Wallace was killing all these things that he made took so long to make. <laughs> like he guts the one woman after she's born. Rachel obviously had some time to make. So we just offer her. Well, cause because they, we... neither of them were made correctly. Right. She didn't have the right baby making parts and Rachel didn't have the right eye color mm-hmm. and he sees them as disposable. Right. I, I, and I, I get did, that. I did I get think that. that I did think that Deckard batted an eye in his stoic kind of way. Right. I mean, I, I didn't think he was nonchalant about it. <laughs> that's that's true. I just think the, I don't know. Maybe the movie felt like that way. But let's get back to 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 what motherhood is in this movie. If you think about um, the idea that all these people have ascended, have gone to the off world. Earth is kind of a bunch of people who just can't afford to get off to go anywhere to get off the planet. And it's just rotting in misery. No one wants to bring children into that world. Uh, hence the reason why they have to keep making, have to make their slaves now, not only just for the physical enhancement quality of it and the obeying, but because there's not enough poor kids anymore because it's just too it's awful a whole, of a world. It's a whole orphanage full of them. That's, Where are they coming yeah, that's from? That's true. That doesn't fall into that theory. Well, yeah, but Something made me think about this world being without mothers. And then you go to Vegas where everything in, in, in town is all about what physical pleasures can the woman give to a man? Not can the woman experience, but what can they give to a man? What can we sell? And then Vegas is literally shrined like statues celebrating just the eroticism that women can provide. Not that they experience, that they can provide. And so I think mm-hmm. the movie is, is making some big statements about this is a world where motherhood doesn't mean anything and might not even exist the way uh, we think. And what does that world, what happens to a world when we don't have that? So um, Catherine read something um, that was interesting. It's was, it was about Robin Penn, no, Robin Wright. <laughs> I can't not say Robin Wright Penn uh, for that actress's name. Um, so Robin Wright is the you know, detective captain or whatever mm-hmm. she is, uh, Kay's boss. 
and she's got her speech about how um, uh, the world was built on a wall between the mm -hmm. humans and, and the replicant slaves. And if we f find out that uh, the replicant's going to have babies, the wall comes crumbling down and, and everything turns to chaos. Right. Because now they have to be seen as people or which they don't need us anymore and they'll just revolt or, which is, or, or, or something like that. Which is obviously a, a allegory to class in our current world and and uh, uh, race in our current world or other nations. It's like once they re went uh, more powerful nations kind of trying to impose every, you know, their own interests. By the way, hearing the words protecting American interests is one of the scariest things I've ever it's one of the phrases that scares me more than anything. Like there's Americans and then there's American interests. I don't know. Something about that phrase, whenever I hear a government official say it, it scares the crap out of me. Why? Because it has uh, imperialist um, yeah. it's not overtones. About, it's not about it's, it's our interests around the world. It's like, well, what things are we trying to control and, and manipulate around the world that might not really be an interest of, of the American people? but just in the interest of the people running it. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, yeah, right. I mean, I think it gets used a lot of times to mean financial interests. Yes. I think a lot of times it gets used to mean security interests. Yeah. Like protecting an ally would be... Right. Uh, protecting American interests. interests. Right. Or, or making sure uh, another government is friendly to us instead of not so friendly to us. I think that gets included in American interest, but a lot of times it's yeah. it's it's a pretext to military action, right? Uh, is the way the term gets used. But speaking of which, I don't know what trailers you saw uh, at your screening of Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Remember it being strange, what? Uh, but I was like just getting depressed by. <laughs> so I didn't even catch the titles. There were two. The one was about uh, from the um, it was like an American sniper type of story about you said you weren't a hero, but you are a hero. Like, I think that got said three times in the trailer. I never want to see a movie with the word hero in it again. <laughs> somebody. Oh, come on. You're yeah. going to go see Avengers three. Oh, no, no. I will totally see every comic book movie, superhero movie made. I just never want to hear the comic book superhero say the word superhero or hero. I just don't okay. want it said. All right. Um, just what uh, you prefer the term hoagie or. No, they don't have to talk about it. They just do what they do. All right. A little vocabulary enforcement. by Yes. Uh, it by takes Wade me Perry. out of it. <laughs> um, and then the other one was, uh, God, I, I think they were in Afghanistan. American troops in Afghanistan. It was another like I felt like the, the previews were all whipping us up. For, for to war. support the next war, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. very jingoistic, um, and there, and I, I think they might have said this was based on a true story, and maybe it is, but it was about American troops in Afghanistan who have to overcome the superior technology of the Afghani's. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the movie's about. So they have to charge tanks on horseback because, you know, it's like Rocky chopping logs the in American Siberia military. while uh, 
while Drago is, uh, you know, more machine than man, he's got the superior Soviet technology, while Rocky is chopping logs in Siberia because he's <laughs> he's closer to the earth. Uh, he's more of a man of the earth. Um, the Red Dawn you know. remake had a bit of an issue. I, I never saw it, but I know that they were having a bit of an issue in the writing of it or the shooting of, shooting of it because the hero was Chris Hemsworth, this big, huge, muscular guy, and the big baddie was a uh, Asian general who was like five foot, if that. And so to make it look like a fair fight was tough. It didn't to make it look like. Chris Hemsworth is going up against the someone he can't take down when he could easily take him down. <laughs> so they're trying to make the big, huge, strong guy uh, the underdog. You know, mm-hmm. it's like yeah, the American people with this. We have to be both the superior in every aspect, but then also we also have to be the underdog to root for because we can't be the empire. Right, we're the rebels. They're- greatest military force the planet's ever seen but yeah we're the greatest military force the planet's ever seen (laughs) yeah but we're the underdog yeah this is kind of weird and then there was a the commuter which is about the evils of taking the train to work instead of driving or the evils of psychiatry (laughs) yeah it was yeah Uh, i saw that one was one we saw i saw that one for sure I am kind of curious to see what that movie's about. Actually, the one the uh, the one with Denzel Washington looks really good. The, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I, I was really impressed by that one. The, yeah. The, the the line that really landed with me really hard was, "I'm tired of doing the impossible for the ungrateful." Yeah. Right. Does that, that look like? Does that, that... resonate <laughs> profoundly with anyone who works for rich and big corporations? Wow. So we were talking about something at some point. So we were, we, I, I was going down we have the anything trail else? of motherhood and, 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 and. Oh yeah. Robin Wright Penn. Robin Wright Penn. Robin Wright. Robin Wright. Um, sorry. I'm sorry. Speech. There's a wall. The, the world is built on a wall between humans and slaves. If we find out the slaves can give birth, the replicants can give birth. The wall comes crumbling down. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it's you know she's basically describing a slave revolt that, right uh you know exactly either, is what it is either the slavery itself will be just be seen as illegitimate because they are, if they're capable of having babies and they're capable of then they're real like the, then they're like people they have souls and it's wrong to enslave them and and so the system of slavery will either just crumble or they, the, economy, the slaves will realize they don't need they're human masters anymore. And so they'll revolt and overthrow their human masters. Something it's not real. I don't think it's really specified what she means. Um, she was, said, if, if the horrors of the, if the morally onious and horrors of what we were doing come to light, we're going down. <laughs> that's what it means. Right. <laughs> that's the, that's what it means. If People we stop and think about how bad this is. If we get our come up comeuppance, we are fucked. <laughs> yeah, that's right. If we pay um, for our sins. But Catherine uh, read something that made a point that I don't know how I was saying it, but uh, it, it, it posited that she might be coming at it from another angle, which I don't think is really expressed in, in, in the scene. But it's an interesting idea is that there, that, that there's very few 
human women in either film. Yeah. And as a woman, her point of view might be if we find out that replicants, you know, replicants are made to for the pleasure models, right? Um, that that house of prostitution we see, you just imagine that every single one of them is a replicant, right? Yeah. That you either get a replicant or you get a, a joy model to service mm. you. That really the only function women have is making babies, human women. And if it turns out replicants can have babies, then human women serve no function at all in society anymore because hmm. they're not even used for sexual pleasure anymore. Hmm. Yeah. And so it would mean it would mean that they, the human men can just get rid of the human women. Or that suddenly the replicants have to be treated not as the pleasure models they are. Like they're that, that well, that too, but that's that, not that, what scares right. Robin Wright Penn. Robin mm. Wright, god damn it. Sorry, sorry, Miss Wright. Um, which there's you, you wonder if she's a replicant either herself, who knows? Yeah, but yeah, there's a oh, lot going Speaking of who knows, rewatching uh, uh, Blade Runner a week ago just to warm myself up. Um, which I forgot to do, I can't believe. <laughs> I had a bunch of observations because I might have seen the movie like 10 times, but mm -hmm. it was all 20 years ago. And so it was funny. Like I there's a lot. I couldn't recollect most of it before we watched it. But then watching it, I could I knew everything that was going to happen yeah, right. like 30 seconds before it happened, even down to where Sean Young sits down to play the piano. I'm like, oh, wait, the sax melody is going to come back on and it's going to yeah. be really weird. I've got to be hearing two different music things at the same time and why do they do that and um but something two things I'd, I'd never noticed before one is all the goofy humor in the first movie mm. roy batty like does weird googly eyes and yeah like, yeah does a weird thing with his teeth uh, well, to make uh, jf sebastian laugh yeah when we saw it as a kid it was terrifying <laughs> but i didn't really think of how goofy it was but yeah like um, well, and then harrison ford's Deckard voice Deckard's voice when he's uh, pretending to be someone to talk yeah. to. Yeah. Hey, I got being the a nerdy, being a nerdy, nerdy inspector. <laughs> which I saw that and I'm like, oh yeah, I remember the scene, but I can't believe it's in this movie. I just thought it was in a different movie. <laughs> you know? Like, right. what? It's so weird. And that, that's something that's really missing from... Well, I don't know. Do you remember what the first thing Deckard says in the movie? Why yeah, wouldn't you for cheese? a piece of cheese? Why does he say that? It's from Treasure Island. He's, I don't know why, why he says it. Why is he quoting Treasure Island? I haven't read Treasure Island in so long, I don't know what the parallel is. Because it's apparently when the boy, I don't, know, I don't know, there must be some parallel to the moment. I don't know the significance of uh, pale fire either. Apparently mm. that's being quoted during the whole baseline interrogation mm. scene. The, the cells interlinking bit is from pale fire well, um anyway uh but the other thing i noticed from the first movie i had never thought of before is they have this whole voight conf test which takes like 10 minutes mm -hmm. of an interview to find out if someone's a replicant or not why don't they just fucking stick their hand in boiling water or liquid nitrogen <laughs> if it doesn't well, hurt them they're a replicant <laughs> 
it's like but, it'll take but, you but 10 seconds but that's the that's the uh uh that's the we throw a witch in the lake and if she floats she's not a witch if she drowns okay that's that's because that you, you'd be break you'd be freezing off human people's hands you know if you're wrong but the, well th- doesn't the void comp test just reduce to like an eye scan in this one don't they just go you're a replicant which yeah I guess 50 they, years 30 years of technology they even say like we used to have trouble spotting them yeah and but now then, they don't now everybody but, knows who's a replicant. All of his, right. all of Kay's neighbors know he's a replicant. You know, right. And so, uh, yeah, well, that that's a technological advancement that I'm sure would be the same. But at the same time, they they had serial numbers, you know, on the bones and the cells, and and the, the snake skin, right, in the first one. And that's right. They had serial numbers, snake skin, and then then Rachel had serial numbers they found on her in the bones on the at a cellular level. Then why didn't they just take a blood sample? Yeah. And look at the serial, see if they're serial numbers. Why did they go through the whole Voight comp test? Right. I mean, you need the Voight comp test because it's dramatic. It's like the whole theme of the movie is right. that it's all about the, the, that's what the implanted memories do is there's a cushion so you can pass the Voight comp mm-hmm. test. And have the proper emotional response. So what they just shouldn't have done is had the serial numbers. But then I, this yeah. whole there's, there's no plot to this movie, to 2049 if there's no serial numbers. Yeah, if you can't tell that that's Rachel in that box. <laughs> so so, I, I I by bringing up the can someone who hasn't seen Blade Runner enjoy this, um, mainly is stemmed from the fact that uh, so many of the thoughts I had during this movie was extrapolating the initial conceit of the first movie which was okay so if Tyrell is God um, and he's making people and they have to die and you're wondering why and they're facing God saying why you have to die the off-world colonies because we never see them which I know which both frustrated my co-workers and Carrie um, in the fact, because we could have seen the off-world. Why didn't we see the off-world? And I go, you know, I kind of like that we never see the off-world because it regulates you to this hell. But then you think, well, if you never see the off-world, it's kind of like a heaven. It's this place you're told about uh. that all these people are living uh, that, that you never see or can even imagine. And although slaves are sent up there to work, um, it's still kind of, you know, so, so Roy and Pris and uh, Leon are kind of fallen angels in that regard, in a way, which kind of muddles the metaphor a little bit. But um, so if you take and uh, so if you take God in heaven, off world is heaven. Tyrell is God. Beginning of replicants are humans trying to figure out what. What is death and what is life and why do we have to die? Going to the second movie, Tyrell is gone out of business. So now are we going, oh, so now are we looking at this world as this is the world without God? Is that now what we're experiencing? And then the rise of, of, uh, of, of, of you know, the threat. Lawless. To, the, the lawless, the threat to um, the not, not need for mothers anymore. Uh, but then uh, uh, Carrie uh, hasn't been talking about Blade Runner since we saw it a week ago. Today, I went, since I told her she was, we were going to do this podcast, she's been talking about it. 
So she feels very strongly about get these points out there. And she, <laughs> she just before we started recording, she brought up something where she was saying, if you look at the, the blackout, because they say there's the blackout that happens that re- and when they all come back, everybody's a be- it's kind of, it is the blackout, the resurrection. So you have mm-hmm. God is Tyrell, God dies, people are in heaven and off world. And then our humans, they get this blackout. Everyone is resurrected and reborn. And, um, and now they're all obedient, programmed, obedient people who are constantly uh, maintained by their corporate environment, their corporate mm-hmm. world. Um, knowing that there's always some better place up there that if they could just get to it. So all these things are really fascinating, but the story they tell either isn't served as well by it or they just lose it. And maybe they weren't, maybe someone just, maybe it got muddled in, maybe it was another voiceover thing where like the studio's like, no, it needs to have these greatest hits things and don't didn't have the balls to really get out there and talk about free will and, 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 and who people are. So I don't know. Having said all this, I feel like we've been shitting on it a little bit, but having said all this, I'd much rather be watching Blade Runner 20, 20, 49 than most movies out there. Yeah, I agree. No, I really, like I said, until he went to Vegas and it wasn't like I hated it from that point forward, but I was really into it until that point, And then mm-hmm. I just felt like I lost the thread. Mm. Um, or the or the or the movie lost the thread for me. Um, no, I agree, and I'm really glad they didn't try to break it into two movies. Which, Ugh, yeah, you know, it could have ended with him at the memory makers thing with the realization that it was his memory. That could have, you know. Oh yeah, that could have been. Find weird. out more. He finds out he's the miracle baby, and then find out more in Blade Runner 2050, <laughs> or. Or 2049, second quarter. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really glad you brought up the blackout, though, because Mm -hmm. for the first, like, half hour of this movie, I was really excited because I thought it was going to be all about digital preservation practices. (laughs) I did think of you, too. Which is my, like, all right, finally, (laughs) a movie that relates directly to my profession. (laughs) (laughs) I did think about you during that. I was like, oh, they should have built more uh, robust <laughs> repositories with uh, <laughs> geographically just... dispersed backup mechanisms. <laughs> or maybe wrote you know, something down on a goddamn piece of paper. <laughs> keep a copy of your data off world. Yeah. Crying out loud. <laughs> you know, actually, the blackout could have been Armageddon. Not just well, I, I, an electromagnetic pulse is what I assumed it yeah. was. But I mean, and in, it's, in, in it's, the allegory. But the radiation levels in Las Vegas, it's kind of, they make it seem like a, they're a nuke went off there. Mm-hmm. Um, although, well, somewhere outside of Las Vegas because everything is still standing and the glass hasn't all broken and all the liquor bottles. Yeah. Yeah. So, so when, when a movie gets muddled and I lose my way and, and in conversations with people about movies, I, I never seem to pick up on as many of the visual 
the visual motifs that are supposed to clue me into things. Like I'm just more interested. I'm more focused in on character and plot and then I'm, and I, I seem to miss these a lot. So I've been trying to pay more attention to it when I get, when I get lost. And so I was trying to think of what was, why did we, why did we do the choice of, of, uh, having the, uh, the flying car, uh, crash in the storm or crash at the edge of the water at the edge of that big dam, right? Remember uh, Love and Decker, mm-hmm. Decker's tied up in the boat and in, in, in the thing, and the thing's just kind of sitting there rocking, kind of going out to sea, kind of staying on the shore. And I'm like, well, what was this choice for? Why did they choose this, this type of thing? And I couldn't figure it out un- except for one thing, was when they were done, Deckard and uh, Kay are crawling are crawl they have spent a long time like like the um like the the sex scene with the overlaying of the women they spend an overly long time showing them crawling out of the ocean of uh, the water onto oh. the shore there's just and lots so, of scenes that are twice as long as they could so be <laughs> i kind of i kind of think that when they're doing that they're trying to you know in a i'm not trying to to be uh reductive when I say this or diminutive, but it kind of feels like a, you get it. <laughs> Do you, I want to make sure you understand what we're doing. This is important. So I'm going like to evolving this on for a while. It's, it's an evolutionary step kind of right. thing. So it feels like, like at the coming, end of gravity, they're coming out. Yeah, exactly. Although that landed with me much quicker. <laughs> um, but the, uh, the there, but they're coming more out of the primordial ooze. It looks like. Whereas, whereas in gravity, a woman who suffered trauma is taking her first steps, like the first steps of man, basically. And so, but the uh, fact that she's coming out of the water is her moment of growth, right? This doesn't feel like a moment of growth no. for either of these characters. That's so that, that, that's just it. So I'm going, okay, so they're crawling out of the primordial use, but I'm like, but what does that mean? Yeah, but so what? <laughs> like, so it's what? A, what is that? What what growth have we seen happen here? And yeah. is this a father and son moment? No, it's not. We've, I forget if that, if we knew at that point, we know we didn't, we knew at that point that they weren't, it, what they weren't father and son. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, it didn't make any sense to me. Uh, well, I mean, the, the, the imagery didn't make sense to me. As Roger Ebert wrote, if you have to be told what a symbol means, it doesn't. Right. <laughs> it's a good point. But you know, that also depends on the viewers. Um, not educational prowess, but like the, the, just on his, what he's been exposed to in that, in that uh, regard. I mean, what's, what's the, what's the study of, um, I keep wanting to say, it sounds too much like seismology or uh, it's the, what's, what's the stu- the study of symbols of like, if you're a guy in the white hat means he's the hero and the guy in the black uh, hat means semiotics. he's the hero. Semiotics, right. Um, I mean, there's something about that on a prime, either either a, just a primal level or uh, or just a learned. That's how everything in our culture is, um, and there's something to that. But at the same time, if if I've never seen a a photo, a picture of uh, I, don't even, I can't even remember the dang name. What's the guy who paints like Bob Ross? <laughs> I love my Funko version of Bob Ross. Um, Jackson Pollock? No, the the guy that usually... Uh, uh, Michelangelo? A, Jesus eat, No, no, not Jesus. The guy eating his children. 
Oh, Goya. Goya. Those Zeus, paintings uh, of like all, Jupiter yeah. eating his children, right. right? If I yeah, if I wasn't aware of that painting, I wouldn't get a lot of if they were trying to do that symbolism, I wouldn't get it. If I hadn't seen a lot of vaginas, I don't know if I'd get a lot of the <laughs> imagery in, you know, quite a lot of movies. <laughs> um so that's something that, that like um uh, I think that plays into it a little bit. However, one of my favorite examples of this, though, um, is a movie I'm fascinated with when I'm thinking... There's two movies I'm fascinated with when I'm thinking about it and I'm bored when I'm watching them. Uh, Way of the Gun. Well, I'm not bored when I'm watching Way of the Gun because there's a lot of really interesting things in it. Um, and But it, it doesn't feel like it amounts to much. And then when I'm thinking about it later, it's like... Uh, yeah, that movie didn't work very well. And I listened to the commentary track one time and Christopher McQuarrie was talking about the reason why he chose to do these certain things and all his reasonings were brilliant. And I go, wow, that's an amazing choice. And yeah, I can see that actually working in the movie, but it didn't when I saw it. Like, not at all. <laughs> I had to have it explained to me. And, um, and, you know, he's, uh, he's, he's, he's grown a lot as a, as a filmmaker there by me not taking as many chances, but, um, but yeah, that, I, that was a big one for, for me. Perfect world was another one too. It's a movie. I, it doesn't feel like anything when you're watching it, but when you're thinking about it, it's like, wow, that's fascinating. <laughs> I haven't seen either of those movies. So I wanted to ask one more question about the, the scene in Las Vegas. And he's in amongst the sex statues, and he finds the bees. Right. Why does he stick his hand in the bees? What's with this, him just walking around with a bee hand for a little bit there? <laughs> that did throw me, too. And it wasn't until you just said it that I maybe thought, oh, that's Ridley Scott's influence, I think. Because he has a lot of big interests of people inexplicably sticking their fucking hand into into <laughs> preachers' mouths and dwellings for no good fucking reason. Uh, cite some examples, please. Prometheus. Do I have to go on? I haven't seen it, <laughs> oh, but okay. Don't. You, you don't want to be as angry as I am. Yeah, you've warned me against it. <laughs> That's why I wasn't looking forward to this movie. I'm like, uh, from what I understand, Ridley Scott doesn't have a good recent track record of reviving his old franchises. Yeah. But I like the idea of Ridley Scott being on board and then Denis Villeneuve doing it. You know, that's, that made me feel a lot better about it, but it is strange that we can't, that uh, it's so muddled. Um, you know, arrival is so, cons so clear uh, and rich. And uh, this one is obviously with Deacons, Roger Deacons behind the, which we didn't even talk about behind the lens. I mean, it's, it's utterly gorgeous. It is a, it is a movie to see on the big screen for sure. Absolutely. It's an experience. Yeah. But yeah, so many, it feels like some missed opportunities or misconnections were unfortunately keeping it from being, I don't think this movie is going to achieve the same kind of, Thing that Blade Runner did when it was critically and commercially it bombed and the critics panned it uh, and then later it kind of got you know more respect and became the iconic movie that we all know today I don't see the same happening for Blade Runner 2049 but who knows it's got a lot of great ideas I mean yeah I could see sequences of it being referred to mm -hmm. uh, or ideas from it 
well, I should name which ones I think it is. I think the whole idea of joy um, is being like an artificial. <laughs> it's just like the most the most superficial artificial uh, product just to generate an emotional response. Like it's mm-hmm. all it is. Right. You know, you, it, you see what you want to see, hear what you want to hear, or whatever the 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 billboard says. Everybody has a copy. They're not even personalized. They all have the same face. Right. You know, and the same voice. But you will it's enough to convince you that this one loves you. Right. You know? Um it, and it senses what you need and it'll say whatever it is you need to hear at that moment. Uh I, I think that's a really interesting idea. Um and like, well what is what is free enterprise commercialism except to Yeah. To try to give you that feeling so that you'll consume, you know, Um, like that's how you that's that's how if you wanted to like to to perfect the the whole consumer economy to make people part most willingly with their dollars. Like that's that's how that's the effect that you're going for. Right. Right. Is to deliver someone exactly the feeling that they want. But. Whereas Ryan Gosling, uh, Kay's character, when he's home, even in the first scene, he's not deluded himself about what this is. It seems apparent to him that he, he, he knows it fulfills a need, but he's not like living a fantasy. Right. You know, he, he, right. Know, he know, he's fully, he's painfully aware she's not real. You know, and she's, he's painfully aware that she's, that, that she's supposed to be giving him something that he, is it no not getting nor did he expect to um and i think that the the tragedy of that is of course hammered home when he on his way back he near the end of the movie he confronts the giant hologram of joy the naked hologram of joy you know that's mm-hmm. who's basically talking to him like any other customer you know and that jake comes what's like basically like yeah that what i was having was not real at all Right. Like it's, it's, it's not, not even, not only was it, I was fulfilling a need. I could tell myself that that was that a very human need, but it's ridiculous now that I'm looking at it in this context. Right. Yeah. Put any personal stake in this whatsoever. Yeah. I thought that really worked. Yeah. Me too. Me too. And I thought, I thought the overlay thing, you know, first the, the replicant prostitutes saying, Oh, I see you don't like real girls. Yeah. Yeah. She the the woman saying it isn't a real girl, <laughs> you know she's she's yeah. a replicant, um, and then having a replicant with the hologram masked over so that a replicant can simulate. <laughs> We've already said this, I mean, yeah. But I just I just love it the, yeah. the layers to it uh, so that a, a a replicant can have a fake emotion for her, <laughs> uh, for uh, another replicant. That's trying to act like a real different fake emotion. I love it. There love you have it. the definition of the internet. You know. Well, and it, well, it's the movies. I mean, yeah. here I am in a movie that's trying to generate an emotional response in me. I mean, that's true. You know. Yeah. True. We are. That's looking what the. That's what the cinema is. Yeah, we are looking for to feel something. People argue over what have taste of what they choose to feel at any particular moment. But that's why we're there. Yeah. Yeah, I liked it. Um, I think he stuck his hand in the bees just because oh. he wanted to feel life. That's very great. 
I mean, that's, that's now what the bees are eating because I don't see how many flowers are growing there where there's no well, sunshine. Well, do you think the bees... or how they would find the flyer flowers since they use the sun to navigate? Right. That, that... Do you think the bees were put there because of all the the the, the extinction of the bee panic that we're having right now? That this is a that's sign what, that there's that's life. What they... That's what they symbolized in the movie for me, but, but what they're actually doing there, right. like why they were written into the script, that I think that's why. It's like, yeah, why I, they were there in the desert, in the world of the film, I have no idea. In order to take myself out of the question of why is he putting his hand in the bees, um, practically in the context of the movie, not in the symbolism, but in the context of the movie, uh, the thought came into my mind, boy... You know, if I was going to guess, hazard a guess of where Rick Deckard ended up 30 years after the first movie, being a beekeeper in Vegas wasn't <laughs> one of those suggestions. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, watching uh, old in... Elvis shows. <laughs> Deckard's into beekeeping. I never would have, never would have, never would have pegged that. That's good on you, movie. You. I would never that, that would never have been spoiled by anybody. <laughs> oh, uh, another friend asked um, over dinner after the show, uh, "What's the dog doing now?" Yeah. Oh, yeah. It gets abandoned, and uh, I'm like, "It's gonna go eat the bees." <laughs> so it can be the dog with bees in his mouth. So when it barks, it shoots bees at you. And I know dogs <laughs> can eat bees because I've seen it happen. I've seen, I've seen, uh, remember, uh, uh, Duke Hillinger the third, my old boss, my old boss, Duke. No, no. Duke was a man who you met on two occasions. Anyway, he had, uh, he had these three dogs and when he found, uh, uh, a bees, a beehive in his backyard, he called his dogs over and they just started chomping them down. (laughs) And he said, yeah, they love them. It's like candy to them. And it was, they, they, they went to town on these bees. Weird. I never would have thought that was true. If you had told me that was the thing, I would have <laughs> been highly skeptical, but uh, I witnessed it with my own eyes. Wow. My thought was why the dog had seemed to be very nonplussed that a wall had exploded in the in his home and uh, his companion was being carried out. The dog's just like, eh. I guess, you know, I'll pour my own liquor on the floor, I guess. Now I get to choose what I want to drink. It was uh, bred to be a docile companion, I guess. So, all right. So, we recommend closing remarks. Closing remarks. Who watched it wrong? I don't know. I think we, yeah, nobody. <laughs> the commercials are anyone who sees the commercials and goes to see, expecting that movie. I feel really bad for that person. Mm. I, 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 I hate the commercials for it, which make it look like a buddy cop adventure film. Right. Anyone who goes to see that kind of movie is going to be very disappointed and frustrated. Welcome. Or maybe pleasantly surprised, but they're not going to get the movie that's being packaged for them in those commercials. I think it's awful how they're promoting it. But I think it's amazing that they're selling this weird art movie as a blockbuster film. (laughs) I think it's kind of great. I mean, I guess maybe it is if, if it gets people to see it who wouldn't otherwise see it and you have to trick them. Um, I mean, you know, but you're always mad when you're tricked. I hope that $10 and three hours of their life aren't 
or something that they could spare oh. for the experience. Well, let's let's check something real quick. The um because uh, the box office for Blade Runner did not do as well as it as they expected it. Why did they expect it to do? They expected it to do fifty one million dollars, and it did thirty. Friday estimates have it at number three. Today is Saturday, the after the Saturday after its a uh, week after its release, and the fr- estimates from yesterday have. You got to be kidding me! Happy Death Day is over twice as much as the next two movies. <laughs> so Happy Death Day is doing very well uh, so far for the Friday crowd, and then The Foreigner and Blade Runners f- fell to number three. So you know, I, I'm 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 saddened, but I'm not really surprised because of that very reason. I think that they were um, wow, it was a hundred and fifty million dollar budget. So far, it's made 50. But yeah, it didn't do what they thought it was going to do. I don't know how they thought this was going to be a big hit. I mean, it's so... It's it's a, it's a difficult movie. I mean, yeah. I love it. I love that it's difficult. Yeah, and like it's a... Like, like I, I was thinking the same thing in the movie. I was like, hey, this is a slow, contemplative movie with not a lot of action, just like its predecessor. That's not what people think of when they think of Blade Runner a lot of the times. So they're going to be... They're going to be disappointed, even though it's giving them kind of similarly to what they wanted or thought they wanted. I thought you had a good term. Uh, it's a movie you marinate in. Yeah. It's really just about soaking in the imagery and like the kind of the three big ideas it has or whatever, whatever it is. You're just, you're just supposed to spend a lot of time kind of reflecting on them and not mm-hmm. thinking – well, what's the next step in the mystery? Like, right. how is he gonna? How is he gonna get out of this one? You know, it's not that kind of movie. No, it's 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 well, it's not even the with a marinade. There's no beginning, middle, and end. There's no thrust to the activity. It's just sitting in it, and it's absorbing the 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 flavor of what it's sitting in, and then it's taken out. It's as part of a longer movie. As long as the process of cooking a meal. That's one thing, but yeah, this is really just a marionade movie. I, I think you're right. I think that's kind of what it is. All right. So, we're back. We've 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 broken through the long silence. Hopefully, we can. Uh, we uh, we didn't come back with the episode we said we were going to, but our that episode is turning out to be quite an epic itself. The Yes. The foretold episode of Ben-Hur. We've got the first part recorded, and it's sizable. (laughs) And we've yet to talk about the second half, uh, which we will do very soon, I hope. We'll get there someday. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks for joining us again for uh, You Watched It Wrong. This has been a three-in-the-morning production. (laughs) Make sure you join us on Facebook or Twitter. Or email us at youwatchedwrong at happypanic.net. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah. Or leave us a review on iTunes because that helps people find our podcast. If that's something you want people to be able to do, we do. And if you try to take your ball and throw it away from the Polino, you botched it wrong. You watched it wrong.
That's when you need BBI, bocce ball instruction. <laughs> I, I, I think I'm cutting that out. <laughs> no, that's the best part of the whole episode. That's the only part of this episode worth listening to. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's too embarrassing. I, I had that thought and I was like, I mean, it's not, I don't know. I just don't want to give off the wrong impression. I have a son. You're allowed to know things. <laughs> was it really written about in the New Yorker? No. Was that, a that was a joke. That was a joke. <laughs> I forget what I was looking for when I found it. I was like, what is this? Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, you could just say you found it in Urban Dictionary. <laughs> or a, a Savage Love. You can always... I think it was probably... An, it was probably like some subset of an ASMR search and then suddenly it got into this weird territory and it's like, oh, this... I, of course this is a thing. Of course this What's is a ASMR? thing. Well... Asphyxiation... No, no. ASMR stands for Autosensory Meridian Response. And... Okay, let me tell you... Okay, so I was listening to This American Life. Okay. And this reporter did a, a story about herself of she's telling how she goes, I never knew why I did this, but I would, I kept watching these, these jewelry videos on, on YouTube that it would just be like, um, uh, 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 these quiet sounds that just made me really, really relaxed. Like, and I would get these, these, these tingles in my head and I just would just, I just felt really relaxed soothing calm listening to these things so i couldn't stop watching them and then um i came across this article about asmr being this thing that they think most children have and some people lose it and some people don't and it's this thing where you you it, it's 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 got a um it feels like a, a, a tingle rush up the head and down the spine a little bit and uh it's there everyone has different triggers sometimes it's it's quiet sounds. It's quiet sounds with from accented voices usually kind of do it. And sometimes hand motions. And she goes, the reporter's going, and I go, I didn't know, that, know this thing had a name. I didn't know that this was a thing. Uh, other people had this. And then when I'm listening to that report, I'm going, I didn't know this was a thing. <laughs> That's me too. And I remember as a kid, I when I would have this feeling, and I had it during the massage scene in Never Say Never Again. <laughs> and I thought this is what this is what arousal is. Okay, this is what arousal is. But, I, but your scalp was being aroused. It was aroused. So yeah, I did. Yeah, it was just it's it's and it's calming and it's soothing. It's nothing like it's nothing like uh, uh, sexual arousal. It's nothing like that at all. And so. Uh, and so then I felt it. I felt it again in a uh, Tom Selleck movie called Her Alibi with Paulina Karskova, where she's giving him the haircut. And I'm like, okay, so this is what a cheap. Th I heard the word cheap thrill, so I go, oh, this is must be what this is. Something you get and you feel good when, when uh, at, at something else. And then I felt it during Secret of Nim. At Which the scene? the opening scene where Derek Jacoby's rat, who you're not seeing, is is talking very quietly. Oh, oh, Nicodemus. And he's, his hands kind of like writing very gently in there. And I'm getting that and I'm like, why am I feeling this? <laughs> yeah. 
And then it occurred to me, that's not what this is. This is something else. This is not down here. This is all up here. And so apparently there is, well, there is a large community of people online who refer to themselves as ASM artists who basically just make 20 minute, 60 minute, two hour videos, just recreating these kind of sounds or motions or contexts that make these triggers. And so people who have anxiety like myself or whatever can actually be soothed by these trigger videos. Now for people who don't experience this, it's weird as shit. <laughs> like if someone stumbles across it, they're like, what the hell is this? So a lot of people are like kind of creeped out by it. Like you'll hear it come up and I was like, oh, it's that person's creepy thing he does. But it's, you know, like like anything, it's people who are engaged and say, it's not weird. But it really is. But isn't. it's not just like uh, like a, a like a, a scene or a passage of a song that just makes like, no. gives you chills. It's not like that? No, it's not like that I mean, at all. I get that. Yeah. But it's not like that at all. It's like it's like because you when it, I I used to get it at the barbershop, too, when when uh, I just thought it was the vibration of the of the clipper. But like uh, and then actually I found out my brother actually even said uh, the only thing that's getting me through these days is comic books and, and ASMR videos. I'm like, you do ASMR, too. <laughs> and like it's so uh, it's like it's this weirdly private thing that just sounds weird. But I'm I, I've been thinking about it. I'm going. I'm so glad I have it because it's something I can actually do to relax and calm the heck down. Now, the now if I I say it's not sexual and it isn't, that's not to say that some people have made it that. <laughs> so there are some ASM artists that are out there that kind of do toe that line, and I think that's how I stumbled upon the the JOIs because it was. I was looking at, at, at ASMRs and then they'd be like, oh, here's ASMR. Because it, it's like, like, you go, the personal attention ones are really nice, but then the personal attention ones can veer into, you know, something a little more unseemly. Hmm. So like, um, so uh, uh, that's not to say that's not out there, but, uh, uh, but it's not what it's about. Yeah, I'm watching a ASMR video. It's just a woman whispering yeah. in French. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, some people though, if they get they get the binaural microphones, so it's really close and intimate, and they'll just sometimes they're just saying. Sometimes they're just doing that for twenty minutes, or they're crinkling paper. Sometimes they like to pick up stuff and go, you know. Like, you know, things like that. Proposed formal names included attention-induced head orgasm. <laughs> I hadn't seen that one. Yeah. Uh, while colloquial terms and usage included brain massage, mm -hmm. head tingle, brain mm -hmm. tingle, spine tingle. Now, I've had spine tingles. Mm -hmm. um, and brain orgasm. Yeah. I'd like to say it's that good, but it's not. <laughs> but, you know, but there'll be but like yeah. art artistic moments that'll give me that spine tingling yeah. feeling, you know. Yeah, there's that rush like, of, ooh, yeah. But, but this the sounds like something different. The closest thing I've ever seen 
replicated, not like something that triggered it, but something that I've seen replicated is in, um, well, that's not true. That's actually not true. I was going to say in The Fountain. Have you seen The Fountain? Aronofsky's The Fountain? No. There's a, there's a, a, in the future segments of the movie where the guy's tending to this tree of the universe or whatever, he checks its vitality by taking his fingers down to these hairs and the hairs kind of jump out. They look like, they look like hairs on the back of your neck standing up. Mm -hmm. Like they kind of jump out and there's this, this sound that kind of happens with it. And like he's measuring its vitality through that. And I, I go, wow, I wonder if he has ASMR because that really does feel, it seems like that's something that would, it's being replicated here. So it's not like getting goosebumps. No. It's something different. No. It's kind of <laughs> like getting goosebumps, but it's, I mean, it, it kind of follows the pattern, like this rush of goosebumps, but it really kind of feels like it goes, it, it cascades over the head and down the shoulders. And if it's really good, it'll go down the, the, the spine and stuff but it kind of stays up here yeah i don't know how to explain it but it's just it's like a rush of intense calm <laughs> like the only thing yeah here's someone just clinking yeah, ice that's in a all, glass yeah, that's it huh so there's a whole community of people out there doing this and you look at their there's some millions of hits and some a couple thirty thousand or whatever there's some weirdos doing it. There's some really non-weirdos doing it. So it's like you were installed with, uh, you know, programming so that they could yeah. run the test on you and uh, and see if you had this response and, like, calm you down. Yeah. Like, if you become unruly and difficult to manage, like, okay, turn on the – click right. the ice. And just, uh, you know, stir the I tea. I don't feel it. And we'll make them but docile. I don't feel it that much in my actual life. Like I don't. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen in in like, like just living. It seems to only happen when I'm watching something with a full with an audio with either over the hair headphones or just uh, with like a full audio experience. It doesn't seem to to hmm. happen. Uh, I'd like to say it does because you know Carrie, Carrie would said when I was kind of cautiously telling her about this. She was like, well, I, you know, maybe that's why you like me because I have a soft voice. And I'm like, I, I wish it happened that way. <laughs> I actually like <laughs> you for you, but, um, but uh, uh, I, I wish that did it because it, I don't, it doesn't happen to me in my just everyday life. It's only when I'm watching something, when I'm focused in on it. I think I actually got the same thing happening in Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein when, dra <laughs> when, when well, you laugh because it sounds like a sexual thing, but it's not. It just sounds like an unlikely, yeah, unlikely source, source for relaxation, but it's it's, it's a moment of intense calm. Yeah. And it's 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 yeah. like when you know when, when Bella Lugosi was is is hypnotizing people and his the way his hands so beautifully move per, in every little thing, ah. and so I got it there a little bit too, and I was like, why? Well, what, what's I don't understand what this is, <laughs> but they the the idea is the thing that they say that they are speculating that that all people are born with it. And it's something to kind of tune your sensory system, and it's meant to interest you in things and 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 and, and move you to you know uh, just to 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 charge your, your nervous system, but then it fades away. But some people it maybe doesn't, and you can get overstimulated mm. too. Well, not overstimulated. You can get you can wear it out. They call it I, what they say it. It's a 
ASMR drought or something. Like if you watch too many videos too many times, then it just it's harder to chase that. It's harder to get it higher, you know. Yeah. It's it's yeah. it's 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 yeah. a very delicate thing. Like something happens, like there's a, a page that really, really gives the tingles, and then you go back and you watch it again, and again, and again, and it just kind of it's not doing it the same anymore. It's so it's kind of, you know, it's it's yeah, it's like sex that way. <laughs> no, <laughs> but it isn't anything. Like, it isn't anything like that. But I, uh, it's um, it's it's. Well, now I'm jealous. <laughs> I want to have a brain orgasm. <laughs> I feel like my brain is very frigid. <laughs> I didn't even know. Oh, shoot. I've been recording all this. <laughs> it's another one of those just really interesting things of life. It's like I I think of it more like Ben Franklin thinks about wine. I said wine is proof that God wants us to be happy. That's beer. Oh, beer. Sorry. Well, whatever. A good Long Island iced tea is proof God wants <laughs> us to be happy. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so I mean he might have also said it about wine, but it's the beer is how I always see it quoted. <laughs> Tequila is proof that God wanted us to be happy and not uh, conscious. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well it's <sighs> way too late. You watched it.